Hi, it's Wes Johnson. And John St. John. And we're here for GGR Pirate Radio. Yeah, because they've got balls of steel. Yes, and we may take those from you when we're done. So for those of you who are tuning in, we're going to go ahead and start this bad boy right now. Who's on the air with us? His name is Ulysses Campbell. Ulysses E. Campbell. Mm, indeed. So and the E stands to, uh... for every damn day. <laughs> um, Excellent. He okay. is our, and, and let me get the appropriate fanfare here for this. He is our... The GGR Geek of the Week is Ulysses E. Campbell. Uh, so here we go. We're going to go ahead and start this puppy right now uh, with our awesome theme music. Stay tuned for an awesome episode of GGR. You're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. This is called Pirate Radio. Be like, oh, these are stupid guns. Guns uh. are for jerks. <laughs> Run around this city like it's your damn shooting gallery. Yeah, what do you do? What do you do? You act like it's a playground. You beat up the bullies with your fists. You throw them in jail. Everybody calls you a hero, right? And then a month, a week, a day later, you're back on the streets doing the yeah. same damn thing. So you just put him in the morgue. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, mother... The Great Pirate Wobblers is here for you. Pain heals. Takes digs scars. Glory. Lasts forever. If you will not turn to the dark side, then perhaps she will. What's in the box? This is called Pirate Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, my name is Mike Lunsford and this is GGR Pirate Radio. Guys, we've got an awesome show in store for you today. The wonderfully talented and well-spoken Ulysses E. Campbell of Fantastic Forum is joining us. Uh, we'll be talking about the various things that he does because, as you've heard, he's on podcasts. He joins us all the time on uh, GGR Pirate Radio. But he's got his own show on the radio. He's got his own podcast. He's got a TV show. He's on other TV shows. The guy is a renaissance man. So and he's going to be joining us today. He is in studio right now. Why don't you say hello to the fine folks, Mr. Campbell? Hello, fine people. I see. You hear that? It's that voice. That that's why he's the uh, the intro voice uh, for um, the newsfeed on Rock Deep Rogue Radio, which we haven't done in a while, actually. So we might need to change that too. Um, but Yuli, thanks for coming down, man. Hey, thanks for inviting me. I have been uh, actually trying to get down here for quite a while, and uh, honestly, Mike, I owe you one because you. It doesn't matter. 
how well frequently it doesn't matter most of the time it doesn't matter uh how late i call this man you know yeah. i'm like hey in fact like last week I, I i was like nah man take a week off we're good you know and then no sooner have i gotten off the line with him than i get a call from the guest who i had lined up who's like oh i can't get off of work and i was like and now i gotta call this guy back and be like can you be on the show <laughs> so uh really i i owed you one or two but i you know this is this is fun i enjoy uh well i don't enjoy riding down 95 no, nobody especially does. on let's, a saturday let's be honest but uh, i mean now depending on when you drive down 95 it's okay if you start yeah. your ride at like 4 30 in the morning and you're headed down 95 south then chances are it's not going to be too bad an experience but if you do it on a Saturday, I have learned to my chagrin, it may be something of a challenge. Anyway, but oh, yeah. I, I, I would I would undertake far worse missions to hang out with my boy, Mike Lunsford. Oh, well, thanks, man. I, I, I appreciate that. That does that does mean quite a bit uh, to me. So thank you. Um, I wanted to jump into this. Um, first off, if you guys are tuning in. Um, make sure you go to our website, too. It's uh, greatgeekrefuge.com. Um, I am currently in the midst of doing I w- what I would call a Star Wars The Last Jedi analysis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I am pulling that movie apart as, as much as I possibly can. Um, and kind of the, uh, the the setup for that, the framework, is when I went and saw the movie in theaters in December, I was in the midst of a kidney stone, which, if you haven't uh, dealt with one... distracting. They're a little bit painful. They're they're quite possibly the worst thing ever. They they are horribly, horribly, horribly painful. So I was on some pretty gnarly painkillers when I went and saw the movie. And after seeing it, I really enjoyed it. But it started creeping in the back of my head. I was like, did I really enjoy it because of the (laughs) painkillers? So I was like, it it was one of those things where it was like, oh, I really really enjoyed this. But man, maybe I didn't really like it as much as I think I did. Hmm. So... I went back and watched it again once it came on Netflix, mm-hmm. and I go into that in detail. It was my assessment of the movie accurate still. I mean, I think it had issues, but I think overall, I think that the, the people that were the most vocal, which I, I've termed the vocal minority, hmm. I don't think that they had a point. I think that most of their issues with the movie were invalid. I think that they were um, trumped up. I think that they were overinflated, and I think that the people who really, really claim claim a distaste for this movie i think that they were looking for reasons not to like it because it wasn't exactly the way that they wanted it to be and that's hard you know i mean especially with something like this like star wars where everybody is has loved it for such a long time and they have these expectations set in their head i mean even even with a movie like that where it's been everybody's childhood thing they they all loved it and I think that that's part of the issue too, is that everybody feels an ownership over this thing mm-hmm. that really isn't theirs to begin with. And well, you know, but it, it in a way it is theirs. It it, it is. I, mean, it I isn't. understand yeah. what you're saying yeah. in terms of uh, not being able to guide it yeah. exactly, and um, you know, but having and reasonably having certain expectations of what the thing is supposed to be. Yeah. You know, I mean, so, um, but yeah, I mean, and, and everybody has that. I don't care whether it's Star Wars or, 
Hawaii Five O, you know, or something like yeah. that. Winnie the Pooh. Because I'll tell you what, dude, Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh is mine. All yeah. right. My mom used to read me them stories when I was a kid, and uh, I take personal ownership of Pooh Bear. <laughs> I can I can understand that, and I mean to a certain degree, I think everybody who is a fan owns that thing. Because think about like the star the the Star Wars trilogy when he when George Lucas re released it. Part of the issue was a lot of people felt that this was something that you've already created. This is an art that you made. Let it exist. You don't have to go back and rework it and change it because technology has improved. But it, he did. And that's that was that's kind of the signature thing that George Lucas has always done is, well, I can fix this and I can make it better. And it really brings up a an interesting conversation about the nature of art. Is it something that the creator should be able to tweak and adjust and change as time goes on? Or should you leave it as is and not mess with it? Well, in this instance... Uh, because um, consider the time when Lucas created that first Star Wars. Because you got to recognize that uh, he didn't actually do what he wanted to. There was a lot of stuff that he really, really wanted to yeah. do that technology just didn't allow him to. I mean, for example, he wanted to have real robots. He Did didn't he? want guy. Yeah, he didn't want guys in robot suits. I didn't realize but it was that. Just, oh yeah, but it was just like, oh well, George, there's no way to do that. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, smack, you know. Yeah. I mean, so uh, what? Uh, Star Wars: A New Hope, uh, the um, remastered version reflected was more of what he actually had in his head when he made the first one. Oh, okay. But was limited by the constraints, of, mostly the constraints yeah. of technology, because they spent a lot of money on that movie. And 20th Century Fox very nearly pulled the plug on it several times. Really? Oh, yes, because they were over budget. They were beyond, you know, the shooting dates. I mean, yeah. it was, it basically, it was a clusterfuck on that thing. Wow, yeah. So if you're just joining us uh, via Instagram, which we're live on Instagram right now. Oh, too. I didn't know yeah. that, too. Um. We're live on Instagram right now, on the uh, GGR uh, Instagram. Um, I am joined in studio by Ulysses E. Campbell of Fantastic Forum of WERA. Um, he is our Geek of the Week. So we are going to be talking about all the things that he does. We went off on a little sidebar there about Star Wars and, and some of its history. Um, but here, guys, on Instagram, I'm going to turn this around so Yuli can say hi to everybody. Hi, but it's, I'm real smaller. <laughs> help me, help he's, me. he's much bigger in real life, I, I promise. Um, but you guys should uh, tune in. We're on Mixler.com. It is www.mixler.com slash FXBG Public Radio. Tune in so you guys can hear the full interview, but I'll give you guys a couple minutes uh, so you can see exactly what's going on here. But, um, Yuli, you, I got introduced to you at, at comic-con that's how we met we met through a friend of a friend um through uh and we'll give them a shout out here because uh, they're out in uh in california enjoying uh, san diego are, comic-con right yeah, now yeah it is it is time they're, yeah. they're still uh like a day and a half of <laughs> comic-con left <laughs> yeah uh and that is uh that is the guys from comics online uh specifically kevin goswan was the one who introduced me to you um so i met you at comic-con you had this dope setup because you had like a TV filming location in like what I would call the crow's nest of awesome con and Washington DC. So you basically, you were looking over the show floor 
Mm -hmm. And that's where you guys were filming your show. Mm -hmm. And that was my first introduction to you. I was like, oh, this guy's cool. Oh, he's got his own TV show. Oh, and he's into comedy. Oh, and he's okay, cool. And he's a cool guy, and he knows like all the nerdy and geek stuff. Okay, I gotta, I gotta get to know this guy. How did that all start? How did Fantastic Forum start to begin with? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, um, I used to shop at a um, at Beyond Comics okay. down in Georgetown. Yeah. Uh, on M Street. Yeah. Um, a, a number of years ago, in fact, because I had I I had been a comics reader basically since I was in first grade. Okay. And uh, I'll, I'll digress a little bit. Um, lived in Bloomfield, New Jersey, uh, yeah. my mom and I, and there was a sweet shop that was uh, down the street from the apartment building where we lived. And uh, one day we were walking down there, and uh, we went into the sweet shop. I think mom was getting me like an ice cream cone or something. And there was a spinner rack uh, because the way that comics were distributed at the time was a lot different. So spinner rack and there was this uh, issue. It was a Batman. It was a giant sized Batman. And I had seen Batman on TV, you know, the Adam West show. And uh, I was like, hey, mommy, can I have this comic book? And so yeah. mom bought the comic book for me. And it was great. There were Because it was a giant-sized story. They had uh, several Batman stories. There was uh, this adapted story from the uh, Batman Sunday strips. Uh, there was one, um, you know, from... Because uh, none of it was new. You know, these yeah. were all reprints. Yeah. And uh, there was like a late 50s story that actually had Lex Luthor in it. And I was Batman with Lex Luthor. Yeah, and I was like, "Whoa, wait! Luthor is a Superman villain. What's yeah. he doing fighting Batman and Robin?" And that yeah. was really cool. And you know, so uh, anyway, but I was hooked from then. And uh, but with Fantastic Forum, so uh, oh, but I, I remember I'd start telling you, but I gotten out of it for yeah. a while. And um, you know, I, but I somebody that I knew that I worked with had been telling me about some stuff that was going on with comics, and I was like, well. Eh, let me see what's happening. So I stopped into this store, Beyond Comics, and I got into it again. I started buying them. And um, the interesting thing about comic stores, and I, I Steve Jeppy, you know, of Diamond Distributors, yeah. uh, had said this. Um, comic book shops are sort of the clubhouses where people hang out, you know, geeks and nerds and all these people who are into these uh, fringe or formerly fringe yeah. <laughs> areas. And uh, so now it's the mainstream. Yeah, it will indeed, you know, shock follows shock. Anyway, so uh, but I was going in there and every Wednesday was the day that the new comics were released. And so I got to meet a bunch of people and it got to be a regular routine where uh, on Wednesdays when the new comics came out, I'd go and I'd pick up my books. I had uh, subscriptions to several. And so they would pull them and keep them for me. And I'd come in and then you talk to your friends and, you know, we'd hang around the store discussing the finer points of some of the things that were going on. And uh, it occurred to me that some of these discussions were actually pretty interesting. And maybe there might be a project there. You know, if you could somehow uh, package these discussions and put them on video, you know, and, um, so I had the kernel of an idea, but it didn't, I, I, I knew it needed something, all right? I wasn't sure exactly what, but I knew it needed something. And uh, then one day, uh, I had, um, I'd left work early, and I was on the way home, and I stopped by the comic book store uh, early afternoon one day. I don't even know that it was a Wednesday. And the store was empty, but for myself 
the manager of the store, and this insanely beautiful woman. And, uh, you know, now ordinarily, if you see a beautiful woman at a comic book store, it's because she's there with her boyfriend or with her husband. But I looked around, and I knew that, you know, the manager was dating somebody else, and this wasn't his girl. But I didn't see a guy. And so I went up to the manager, and I was like, damn, who's she? And, like, more importantly, where's her husband? Where's her boyfriend? And dude was like, yo, she's here. He said, she doesn't have a boyfriend. She's not married. She's here because she likes comic books. What? (gasps) Yes. You know, I had run into a unicorn. (laughs) Shocking. That barely barely ever happened. Anyway, so um, I introduced myself, and I got to know this young woman. I ultimately got to know her pretty well. And um, I realized that if such a show that I had envisioned was going to be successful, um, it couldn't be just a bunch of fanboys hanging around jerking each other off. You know, you needed yeah. you needed a woman. Yeah. And uh, yeah, ideally, you would get an insanely beautiful woman who knew about comic books like uh, like her. Yeah. So the woman's name was Shireen Nicole, and uh, you know, so um, one of my uh, best, closest platonic friends, and um, you know, a uh, a friend and confidant, and uh, you know, collaborator uh, in some cases. So um, I, when I finally got around to trying to do a pilot, I had approached her and I said, "Hey, you know, explain what I was trying to do," because uh, I remember back in the day, uh, the Wheel of Fortune show. And uh, some of my friends, because we were all in college at the time, some of my friends who went to Georgetown, they didn't call Wheel of Fortune Wheel of Fortune. They called it Vana. <laughs> and so they were like, oh, it's time for Vana, you know, uh, for Vana White, you yeah. know, who turns the letters. And uh, I realized that what I wanted was for uh, Fantastic Forum, for people not even to call it Fantastic Forum, but to call it, oh, it's time for Shireen. Let's go check out Shireen, you know, so, um, and, but she was the X Factor, and without Shireen Nicole, uh, there would be no show. So how long have you guys been doing the show? Uh, have been doing this show since the fall of 2007. So going on 11 years 11 years, years yeah, and uh, there are uh, 66 episodes of the TV show, I believe, in the can currently. And uh, we've added a radio version as of about two years ago. And there are uh, officially, I think, 75 episodes of the radio show. Because that comes on every week. The television version had largely been a once-a-month endeavor. You know, because okay. of the uh, arduous nature of producing television. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize that the radio show was something that was relatively new. So, like, oh, yeah. I've... I'm trying to remember. You, you basically got in on the ground floor. Did I? Okay, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I, I, figured, I figured I'm jumping in on this and, like, I'm the new guy. Like, I didn't realize that I've been that, – that was kind of cool, actually. Yeah, well, you were the new guy in the sense that yeah. the, uh, the All the, the other people have been from the TV show, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. So so it grew from the TV show. Yeah. But, like, before that, like, did you have experience with television? Did you – was this something that was, like, old hat for you? Or were you just like, oh, let's create a TV show? Or was this, like, a new venture for you where essentially you're learning on the fly – as this sort of thing happens? Well, yes and no. Um, back when I was in high school, I guess. Actually, late. Yeah, yeah, high school, I guess, what you go back to. Um, and I've been a, 
I've been a fan again since uh, I was in first grade. Yeah. Um, didn't start going to convention. Well, they didn't really have conventions such as they were. Uh, my first convention was in uh, 1974. Uh, they had a Marvel Comics convention over in D.C. Now, I have since learned that, um, well, I, I did because we actually had a fantastic forum about conventions. And uh, the World Science Fiction Convention is the first genre-related convention. This was back in the 1930s. But uh, comic books had been getting traction, and comics fans had been getting together uh, since the uh, early to mid-60s. And, of course, also you had uh, the aforementioned San Diego Comic-Con, well, what is now San Diego Comic-Con International, yeah. that started out as a much more, um, uh, it, well, not a, nearly as grand an affair as yeah. uh, what they have now. Yeah. Anyway, though, so, um, but I had been going to conventions, and uh, I, I was... Uh, visiting an aunt of mine out in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area one summer. This was after I'd been to a couple of uh, Marvel Comics conventions. And they were having a Star Trek convention. Well, I, I like Star Trek, too, so I was like, hey, let me go to this. And that was really fun. And, you know, that was my first uh, experience with the science fiction convention. And some of the stuff that went on there in terms of the, uh, well, they had the costume contests at the Marvel comic convention, too. But the costuming and the dealer's room and the like-minded people and all that. Um, but uh, I, I fell in with a, a group of people because in 1978... Uh, this was, uh, you know, of course, shortly after Star Wars had come out. Yeah. But there was, you know, because I hadn't been to a convention in about two years or so. And uh, uh, there was going to be a convention over in uh, New York, because I grew up in uh, northern New Jersey, Essex County, and uh, very close to New York. And so there was a convention over at the Statler Hilton and, um, you know, right across the street from Madison Square Garden. And so... Uh, I made a Darth Vader costume, and I went to this convention, and nice. uh, and I met some uh, really cool people. One of whom, a guy named Chris Callahan, and uh, Chris had been making these uh, Super Eight movies, and so um, you know we began. I mean, I had been interested in filmmaking, and uh, uh, but I had not actually completed something. Anyway, uh, I was it was absolutely astounding what I saw Chris doing, and he sort of inspired me. And a bunch of us started working together, and so we began collaborating on these Super 8 films. And we did several. Uh, there was a, um, for example, a parody of, a lot of them were parody-type movies. But we did a couple of Star Wars parodies. We did a parody yeah. of You showed uh, me The Empire Superman. Strikes Back one that you did. Yeah, yeah. it's called The Empire Cracks Back. You yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. But, um, we began showing these things at, and we did a couple of original ones too, but we began showing these actually as part of the programs for the conventions. And we got some notoriety. In fact, uh, particularly with the Superman movie, we got uh, so much so, um, we were invited to uh, Superman's 40th birthday party over at DC Comics and uh, got to meet uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, among others. Jeanette Kahn, who was the president of uh, DC Comics at the time. Um, uh, Paul Levitz, who was the uh, vice president. Um, but we were also invited to participate on a BBC 
television documentary program called Arena, uh, where they were talking about Superman, and that was a lot of fun too. But so I had, so I, I didn't have any actual television experience, but I had had some experience with filmmaking and uh, putting something together, and that's where public access television came into the mix, community media, and I had been aware of the com- the. Co- the Public Access Corporation of D.C., or DCTV for some time. For people who may be unfamiliar with it, uh, Public Access Television, and if you've seen Wayne's World, you, you sort of get the message. But yeah. um, this was uh, envisioned as a way to give uh, the ordinary citizen a voice. And so um, membership in one of these uh, public access centers could get you uh, training, uh, get you access to facilities and uh, production equipment all at a substantially discounted rate from what you would pay uh, at, at the standard market price. So uh, I uh, went over to DCTV. I actually joined DCTV uh, late in 2004 and started taking classes. And, um, you know, it, uh, it took me a couple of years before I felt comfortable enough to actually start doing the show. I mean, I knew I wanted to do something, yeah. but you know, you got to have the training, you got to have the expertise and all that. So, um, you know, I, uh, after a couple of years and I'd taken the class in studio production and field production and, um, uh, editing and, uh, anyway. So, uh, finally I said, okay, it's time. And I booked the studio and I got some set pieces, and I got a crew, and I got my in-front-of-the-camera talent, and we did uh, essentially a pilot. Now, also, I had gone out to uh, the Baltimore Comic Convention, because by this time I was living in uh, Washington, D.C., of course, and Baltimore was the closest place where they were regularly having a convention. Uh, A guy named uh, Mark Nathan uh, of Cards, Comics, and Collectibles in Reisterstown, Maryland, uh, started doing this convention. He had been doing it for about five or six years at the point at which I came along. But they had a very robust artist alley. And uh, the way that I envisioned this show, uh, because of the conversations that we were having at the comic book store, was that there would be a discussion component where yeah. I got four geeks together and we talked about uh, different issues. But you can't do it, it can't just be that. So uh, the other component was going to be interviews with comic book uh, industry people, uh, artists, writers, editors, what have you. And then the other component was going to be uh, toy and game profiles because uh, I really I love the action figures and the props and the costumes and all that. And I thought it would be a very interesting idea to include a segment on the toys, the cool toys, as they were called. Yeah. So uh, then I took uh, these three components and put them together, and uh, and that was the show. And um, then after the pilot episode, I realized that we were going to need a lot more graphics because uh, many of the time it, we were talking about something, and it was just going to be easier for people to grasp what was going on, nature of the conversation, if you could actually see it. So we started rolling in uh, graphics and pictures and all of that. And, um, you know, that's, that's sort of how the show evolved. And eventually uh, I, uh, I moved uh, from one station to another. Uh, and all the while, 
adding the show because um, now the show is on on 10 different stations. We're on on Philly Cam in Philadelphia, uh, the Manhattan Neighborhood Network in uh, Manhattan. Uh, it's on in Fairfax County on FPTV. It's on in Prince George's County, Maryland on CTV. It's on in Washington, D.C. on DCTV. It's on in Arlington, Virginia on AIM, Arlington Independent Media. Well, you get the idea. Yeah. Um, so, and that's called bicycling your show you know, yeah. to different stations once you actually have the content. So, um, and it's, uh, of course, continued to evolve, and, uh, but it's been a lot of fun. So I, I, I know I was sort of roundabout things. You asked a very specific question, but uh, it, there was a more general kind of answer that to gives the us, thing. <laughs> I mean, that gives us some history, too. So like mm. that, that really kind of puts the whole thing in context. But, like, I mean, you've been doing this for 11 years now. It's grown. Mm. You have different channels that show it. I mean, yeah. this is in syndication, essentially. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> have you... Have you had people reach out to you who are watching the show from other areas other than, like, the people that you have? I mean, like, the, the locals, obviously. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've had, I, you know, I, in fact, uh, very early on, uh, yeah. I had uh, somebody who wanted an autographed picture of Shireen. <laughs> <laughs> Shocker, right? Yeah, that guy actually turned out to be a little weird. But he got his picture. <laughs> hey, you know, like, it, it, you got you to... Gotta, keep the fans happy right like. <laughs> indeed you do you know and um just in terms of uh, the different areas where there has been interest uh i know that episodes have been reposted or at least not full episodes but i because i've i've chopped it up and yeah. the different content is available via the website but um there was a site out in the uk uh that was reposting stuff uh, really you know for yeah um and uh, looking at the um at the various areas where the show had been downloaded uh, because uh, at least one of the sites where I was uploading shows allows you to do that. But there were, um, I want to say, like 26 or 36 different countries wow. uh, where uh, the show had been downloaded and seen. I was shocked. I mean, Australia and the United Kingdom and India. And, it's pretty uh, crazy you know, when it starts yeah. getting out there, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And, uh, and kind of exciting, too. I mean, the idea that uh, there are people... In other lands, you know, distant to our own, that actually have an interest in some of this stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like especially too when when you have something like this that's like a project, mm-hmm. you know, like that starts from the ground up, and then all of a sudden you're seeing people responding to it in other states and then other countries, and it's just like that was for with GTR that was incredible to me. Mm-hmm. Is that like I I had at one point I, I wrote an article about something stupid. I wrote an article about uh, this show called Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. <laughs> yeah, awful '80s show, <laughs> and like it ended up for whatever reason, it just caught the attention of a group on Reddit mm-hmm. that was all fans of this show. <laughs> yeah. So we went from like your typical like you know like a hundred maybe two hundred people looking looking at the, the website like mm-hmm. a, you know a, a month. And then all of a sudden, it went to 10,000. And I was like, wow. what happened? And I looked, and it was this one article that I wrote. And I was just like, wow. Like, this this, this is so strange. But it was like, and it was getting response. I was getting comments. I was getting mm-hmm. people who like, oh, we really, really like the website. All because of one nerdy little article. And it's just, it was incredible to me how this new world that we live in, this 21st century of technology, how a TV show, an article, a podcast can just explode because of the internet, basically. Like, it gets shared, and, like, immediately you're accessing more than just the people who happen to be watching or listening at that given time. Mm-hmm. No, indeed. And you, it all the more interesting is that you don't know 
what people are going to respond to. You know? I mean, that, that's, one of been, that's really been one of the more interesting aspects to, uh, to doing the show and why I've tried to uh, be sort of uh, versatile in terms of uh, what we are uh, willing to show. I mean, I realized I kind of needed to go to themed episodes, you know, because that was a little easier in terms of, you know, oh, yeah, well, this episode we're talking about Batman, and oh, this episode we're talking about Superman, and oh, this we're focusing on conventions, and oh, we're doing an episode on cosplay, and, you know, stuff like that, you know, where you can get... You can kind of grab somebody's interest and hopefully, you know, show them something. The, the other thing that's uh, been a lot of fun are some of the, the special shows. I mean, for example, we rode out, me and a crew, to uh, Logansport, Indiana a couple yeah. of years ago. There's a guy named uh, Mark Rakup uh, who's got a business called Fiberglass Freaks. And I reached out to Mark because he has the official license from DC Comics to reproduce uh, life-sized reproductions of the Batmobile from the 1966 Batman TV series. Really? Yeah, Mark is a huge fan, as you might imagine. Yeah. And, um, you know, these cars are, I mean, fabulous cars. So we got to see how he builds them and, uh, you know, basically the whole construction process. I actually got to ride in one. And, um, I mean, they sell starting for $125,000. Oh, yeah, no big deal. <laughs> yeah, indeed. But, um, <laughs> you know, just the idea that there were people out there. Because this, this guy, he was a kid when Batman first started coming on, on ABC TV. And apparently, you know, as a child, he announced that he was one day going to build one of these cars. And then he grew up to actually do it. And, uh, you know, not only that, but, in fact... <laughs> he uh, he's uh, withstood some legal cha- well not him exactly withstood some legal challenges because there was another business that was also building Batmobiles from the 1966 TV series and DC Comics had to actually uh, issue a cease and desist order through their legal counsel and uh, that was very interesting exciting kind of thing too but yeah so fun stuff like that I mean we've been to uh, well the now. Uh, closed Jeppy's Entertainment Museum uh, over in Baltimore. That was how I got to meet Mr. Steve Jeppy, who is um, the, uh, well, he's a big player in the comics distribution world. In fact, he is the player, the guy who distributes all the specialty comics, well, all the comics to the specialty stores in the UK and the United States. But um, you know, went by and got an interview with him and uh, toured the museum uh, with uh, his daughter, Gina. And, uh, you know, so but just different fun types of stuff uh, that we've been able to do that highlights uh, different people doing interesting, exciting things uh, that are genre related that, uh, you know, maybe somebody didn't know about or hadn't heard of. Well, and you had mentioned about the um, and I'm actually frantically looking through my uh, computer right now for it. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned the the recreation of the Batmobile Mm -hmm. and. One of the coolest experiences I had growing up, I want to say I was like in my early 20s, mm-hmm. and my dad w- worked, uh, was working for um, uh, Lincoln Mercury at the time mm-hmm. over, on, um, over on Route 50 in Fairfax. And because of the area and because of the affluent nature of some of the residents, one of the guys that was his customer had that original 60s Batmobile. Oh, my goodness. Because One of the George Barris cars? It's built on a Lincoln chassis. Yes, it is. That's right. And mm. 
my dad was the service advisor for Batman was my joke. Like it was it was just the <laughs> coolest thing ever seeing that my dad was essentially like working on this car. It was just it was it was very very cool. Mm. And I don't even know if I have the picture anymore. I'll have to see if mm. I can find it. I, I used to have it somewhere. Um but it's just so cool to think that like these things like that th- they make a huge impact on you. Oh yeah, well, especially when you're a kid. Yeah. Right? And just in general like these these pieces of pop culture that become embedded in our our world and to be i mean that that's part of the reason why i do this and that's that's Mm -hmm. why you're on here today is because we both love talking about these things so much (laughs) um about that but like i wanted to kind of kind of circle back here so Mm -hmm. in the in the grand scheme of things what's the next thing what's the next step for fantastic forum well, I've kind of always had in the back of my mind, um, and particularly when all of this genre-related stuff, uh, after after Iron Man came out and uh, these characters started to get some traction in the mainstream, and quite frankly, this should have happened 30 years ago, because right? yeah. what we were seeing is something very similar to the reaction to... Uh, Superman the movie, uh, you know, which is uh, produced by uh, Ilya and Alexander Salkind. But um, Marvel did it a little better because uh, as, um, in fact, a former geek of the week, Mr. James Rambo, uh, pointed out very eloquently on an episode of Fantastic Forum, uh, Warner Brothers is old Hollywood. And so rather than, because I'll tell you what, back in 1978 when Superman the movie first came out, Uh, My friends and I were all very excited because we thought that this was going to herald the arrival of the Justice League of America in the movies. You know, Wonder Woman was still on TV with Linda Carter at the time. Uh, You had proven that you could do Batman based on that Batman, uh, you know, 60s TV series. Green Lantern is just some animation effects. And here was Superman in the movies. Well, you put those characters together and bam, boom, you got the Justice League. But instead of world building like there was a hunger for and like they could have done at the time uh warner brothers did what they did which was make a sequel and then they made a sequel to that and they made another sequel to that you know and um so but that's old hollywood you know it's not being necessarily innovative and building on what you are creating you know anyway but so Fast forward to 2007, and here's this Iron Man movie that comes out. And then all of a sudden you've got uh, uh, comics are becoming uh, raw material. They're intellectual property that somebody can take and adapt to a TV series or to a movie. And this is happening more and more to greater success. It does seem like it's less mm -hmm. of the art form and more of the template. Yeah. Like where comics before were the thing that you went to like hey look at this amazing story now people aren't paying attention unless it's a film or it's a tv show like, yeah yeah well and that that's a whole nother issue i mean and uh, but it, comics as an art form and as a uniquely american art form that's never going to go away uh, but uh, you know sequential storytelling in fact it's in many ways it's more robust than it's ever been um but some funny things have happened along the way, uh, mainly with, uh, with this particular genre. Apparently, uh, comics had been largely cyclical. Uh, you would have one particular genre that would be popular, and then that would fade in another one. You know, you've gone from 
war comics to detective comics to romance comics to you know teen comics and superhero comics and all this. and the superhero fad just happened to not peter out is basically what it was yeah. and then of course um there were uh things that happened along the way uh frederick wortham uh falsifying this research that he conducted and writing seduction of the innocent and you know the whole crisis in the 50s as far as uh, this assertion that comics led to juvenile delinquency and causing essentially blacklisting in the comics industry. As, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't whole, know that. Oh, my goodness. Let me tell you something. There were whole companies that closed down. And frankly, some of the stuff was kind of lurid, particularly in terms of the detective comics and what was on the covers and the way that they were depicting uh, acts of violence and yeah. overt sexuality and stuff like that. But when um, this psychiatrist, Dr. Frederick Wortham, uh, and he wrote a very famous book called Seduction of the Innocent, and that yeah. was what all these senators ref- referenced when they were holding the hearings. You know, I mean, it, it was like McCarthyism except for comic books. Yeah. I mean, my right hand to God, can't make this stuff up. So um, a number of the comics stopped publishing. And the only ones that were left, really, I mean, you still had Superman, you still had Batman, you still had Wonder Woman, but uh, almost everybody else fell by the wayside. And uh, it was because these characters were seen as being more wholesome. You know, and that's when, you know, Batman went from, you know, the whole Dark Avenger of the Night to the more, you know, a kind of campy 50s Batman, you know, and that was part of the reason. Why they went um, to the comic code of thou, you know, basically exactly, thou shalt not kill. Exactly. Your superheroes don't kill. Yeah. Exactly. You know, the, the comics code authority, which would regulate uh, the stories and the way that they were presented and, you know, could offer some guarantees to parents as far as what their children would be consuming. But, um, yeah, but, but the, the point behind a lot of this was that uh, there was a proliferation of uh, media surrounding the comics. Uh, particularly after the success of Iron Man, and you f- started seeing shows like uh, Comic Book Men, and uh, you know after Walking Dead became popular, all of a sudden there was Talking Dead, and you know all this stuff. Anyway, but uh, so uh, the ultimate end game for Fantastic Forum, I would love to see the show uh, on some national t- cable television network, and uh, either sold by me to them or sold with me, where I continued uh, to, uh, to produce the show. Yeah. Now, to date, I have only had one pitch meeting, and uh, that was with a production company. Part of the reason that I haven't had any more is uh, I haven't actively pursued them. And part of that was because I learned something in that pitch meeting that I had. Uh, because I didn't, I didn't make the pitch particularly well. I didn't make the pitch right. I pitched it as reality TV, uh, and so yeah. yeah, and I did not, you know, and and so uh, the um, development executive with whom I met uh, gave me some feedback for what you do with reality TV. I mean, she started talking about the personalities, and I needed the personalities to be bigger, and I was confused. And then I thought, oh wait. Yeah, I did say reality TV. I said, but I'm in it now. I said, I can't, I can't change. I can't wait. No, it's not really reality done. Okay. Just know that for the next pitch meeting. Yeah. So, um, but the, uh, right now where I am, um, cause I've still got some episodes in inventory that I need to finish. Frankly, for the past two years, I've been, 
a lot more focused on the radio show. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. the radio show was envisioned as supporting the television version. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to say it supplanted it, but I've just been, you know, it's a, it's a weekly endeavor. And so it requires uh, a bit more uh, regular attention than the television show and To be had. perfectly honest, it's a lot easier to produce. That's true. You yeah. need you need less people <laughs> to do a radio yeah. show yeah. than you need to do a television show. But um, I and and I've decided now that what I want to do is I want to put a pilot style episode uh, of the TV show together and uh, and then start shopping that. But because um, it's really um, it's a talk variety show. Yeah, is really what it is. It's not reality at all. No. And uh, but I, uh, I I note that Comic Book Men has recently been canceled. Yeah. And who knows what is on the horizon for a show like Talking Dead? Because uh, of course. Uh, Chris Hardwick has been uh, benched, and uh, even Andrew Lincoln, who plays Rick Grimes on the show, announced uh, just yesterday, I believe, over at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, that this would be his final season on the show. And of course, in the comic book, Rick Grimes is still there, Um, you know, but the comic diverged from uh, the television show some time ago. So anyway, but one wonders how long some of these ancillary shows are going to be able to survive although you've still got stuff like um, face off uh, you know which is about the um, uh, the, the makeup uh, there was um, uh, heroes of cosplay you know which focused on the cosplayers you know but I, I the way that I saw it fantastic forum sort of encompassed all of this stuff and uh, although the real question is because something else I found out uh, in that pitch meeting Christian Slater apparently had Uh, some sort of show that he wanted to do that didn't get off the ground. And it's possible that there may not be a market for a show like this. And that's why you don't... I mean, if if you're doing something that doesn't look like anything else that's on television, um, then there are two reasons for that. Either uh, there's no market (laughs) for what you want to (laughs) do, or, um, you know, people just haven't figured out that, uh, you know, this is what they want. So Yeah. Now, if you're just tuning in, uh, you are listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Uh, we have got Ulysses E. Campbell of Fantastic Forum on today. He Woo-hoo! is our Geek of the Week. Uh, what is the Geek of the Week? Well, um, well, technically, it's the whole month, uh, but month doesn't rhyme with geek, so Geek of the Week <laughs> sounds better. Um, but basically, we want to highlight people who are doing the things that they love. And why is that geeky? Because really, that's what a geek is, is somebody who is passionate and loves the thing that they do, whether it be radio, whether it be comic books, whether it be art, TV, um, and we've had musicians. I mean, all of these things are things that we love, and that's why we do them. And that's why you're on. That's why we had Rambo on. That's why we had um, uh, Justina Johnson on uh, as a musician, because that's really what GGR is about now, is it's about these things that we love and the things that we want to share with each other. So kind of getting back to what we were discussing before here, Yuli, um, so in the in the grand scheme of things, you want it to be in that same vein of comic book men, but now things are changing. Well, you know, I always thought huh, I always thought comic book men kind of sucked. So I, no, you know I, what, you're not you're not exactly. the only one. I never I watched one episode, but that's because Ben Shaw was on it. Yeah. And he even said to me, he's like, "Hey, you want to come with me and be on the show?" And I was like, "No, like I just I didn't care." Um, it just it's not my thing and it was too much like pawn stars it was like oh hey we got this thing and we can sell it to you I don't really care about that and yeah. like I I want to see 
the, the thing that I've that I've loved about this and why I keep doing it is because I love having these conversations that we have, whether it's me, it's you, it's Phil, it's Shireen, it's Steve, it's Eric. Like we get passionate about these things and then we end up having these great conversations, these great uh, jokes that we make. Like having Rambo on was the same thing. Like that's what makes this fun. And I that's what I feel like is is we can share is it's mm-hmm. not that what we're having is so unique. It's that what we have, everybody can appreciate. They oh, can yeah. listen to and be like, I've had conversations like this with my friends. Mm-hmm. And then they share it with their friends and they're like, listen, they talk about the same stuff that we talk about too. And like, that's how I see it growing. That's how I see all of this happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is well, that we end up getting like a network of people who are like minded. <laughs> well, and mundanes now, I, yeah. that's what I call ordinary people. Ordinary. Yeah, mundane, <laughs> yeah. Actually, the pick, normies. That, pick, yeah. pick that up yeah. at a world science fiction convention. Uh, in fact, as an aside, I was uh, racing down a hallway of a hotel in costume, suddenly was clotheslined by a, a walking stick, and then there was this guy looking up, Look, well, excuse me, I'm looking up at him, and he's like, you, you're going to come with us to Freak Mundanes. I was like, what the hell is this? I thought it was a place. I didn't realize yeah, like, it was like an Yeah, like a restaurant, activity. right? Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize it was an activity. Anyway, so, um, no, because I, I, in fact, t- to this day, just the other day, as a matter of fact, uh, somebody saw my backpack, you know, that I got from... Thinkgeek.com. Oh, you're, and you're the shield. Captain America yeah, yeah. Shield backpack. And they were like, oh, this is great. And so I told them where I got it. And they started asking me some questions about it. In fact, you know, one of them, I gather, had seen the movies and they're like, oh, is it made out of vibranium? And I said, well, actually, you know, the shield in the comic books, the actual <laughs> shield, wasn't vibranium. It was a vibranium adamantium alloy that was created in an unduplicatable metallurgical accident. And uh, because adamantium is with fox and the x-men apparently marvel can't use it and that's why they just decided to do vibranium yeah oh, i didn't know and, that oh, i didn't yeah. think about that oh, i didn't yeah. realize that adamantium was something you couldn't talk about in yeah well they don't they now so, shockingly because adamantium debuted in the avengers and uh, because ultron stole some and built himself out of it and but so they changed it in would, the movie, and they made him. They made him made out of vibranium. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but you would think that because originally this stuff was in the Avengers, yeah. that they'd be able to use it, but evidently not. I'm I'm unclear on exactly what that was. Who but cares? yeah, well, it's not going <laughs> to matter because Disney's going to own it all here in about well now about that, three or four months. Now that Comcast has dropped out of the bidding war, yeah. it sure seems like that. Yeah. And I know of a lot of people who are going to be real excited to have that happen because now you got the Fantastic Four back in the fold. You got yeah. the X-Men back in the fold. You can do some pretty cool stuff. You could do an Avengers versus X-Men, but you could actually do some really interesting things with the X-Men, too. Oh, yeah. Well, and the Fantastic Four, who, of course, yeah. was Marvel's first family. They never get, they never get the justice that they, they, they deserve. They haven't been done right on film yet, I don't they, think. You know, Mike, the, the FF is tough. Yeah, they're tough. I mean, because uh, originally the Fantastic Four debuted in 1961. In fact, uh, the whole reason that the Fantastic Four exists is because of the Justice League of America. Uh, Justice League was selling very well. And uh, Martin Goodman, who was the publisher of uh, Marvel Comics at the time, played golf with somebody from D.C. And whoever this was, I forget now who, but was talking about how well Justice League of America was selling. And so Goodman came back and he told Stan Lee, look, that Justice League thing is selling out like hotcakes. I want you to create a team of superheroes. We need a book about a team of superheroes. And that was how the Fantastic Four got started. Wow, really? Yeah, Yeah, that's a true story. So, um, but... 
it, it was all about American exceptionalism. And because the whole key was, you know, Reed was trying to beat the commies into space. And uh, Reed and Ben were both World War II era guys. Johnny was a hot rodder a la um, James Dean. Uh, Sue was invisible. You know, I mean, but yeah. it, 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 that particular team and their, the tale of them, their origin, it doesn't translate well to modern life. No, it doesn't. Because the, the, the social dynamics that existed at the time, the cultural dynamics, are so different. And I thought that the best one, that Yoan uh, Griffith one, with Jessica Alba, uh, you know, I, I like to see. I liked that one. I yeah. like. I didn't think there was anything wrong with that, but everybody is pretty harsh and critical of well, it. Well, that, like, that's about the best you're going to be able to do, right? You know, yeah. I mean, unless you do the Fantastic Four as a period piece. Now, you said it in 1961, and you do that, you can do it exactly as it was supposed to be. You know, and in yeah, a given, I guess you could, yeah, yeah. Now, given uh, what Marvel has done, particularly with Ant Man. Um, I don't see why you couldn't do it. I mean, you know, and they're getting ready to have some stuff. In fact, there are a bunch of period piece yeah. stuff that's coming through. In fact, because Wonder Woman, the first one, was set in uh, World War One era. Um, they had all these flashbacks in Ant-Man. Uh, I understand Captain Marvel, which is due out next year, is supposed to be set in, in the, the 1990s. 1990s. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, there's no reason why you couldn't. Although, if you were interested in integrating the Fantastic Four into the modern Marvel universe. Although I suppose what you could do, given the way that they operate, uh, you have the initial movie, it's set in 1961, and they do whatever it is they're going to do. And then somehow at the end of that movie, maybe they're lost in the negative zone or something. I don't know. But then, yeah, but then they come back and it's like, yeah. oh, and they've just come back into the modern world. Yeah. You know, something yeah. like that. So. Very similar to what they did with Cap. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I could, mm-hmm. I could see that. Um, the, other, the other one that I feel hasn't been done right that maybe now that Marvel or slash Disney is going to potentially get their hands on it, mm-hmm. the X-Men have had glimpses of what it could be. What you'd prefer yellow spandex? <laughs> They've had moments. They've had a few where they're they're almost they're almost there, right? Yeah. Like I feel like they got Wolverine. They got him pretty good. Like Hugh Jackman did an, an incredible job as Wolverine. And like Logan, if you haven't seen that, I mean that that's mm, incredible. Yeah, it's an excellent film. Um but I still feel like they haven't gotten the team dynamic right yet. And that's the thing with the X-Men is there's so much to them that you could do. Mm-hmm. That now that you could have them interact with Spider-Man, you could have them interact with the Avengers. You, you really could do some interesting things, and you wouldn't be limited. That's the other thing is is you hear all these stories about like, oh, well, we wanted to do this story, but we couldn't because of X, Y, and Z because this person has the rights to this. And like, if they could just get it back to where it's all in one, and one company can handle the whole thing, all of Marvel's continuity instead of like these piecemeal pieces all over the place, it might be a better overall product. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm. I mean, even though, as you point out, those X-Men, I mean, and the X-Men movies, that that was very unusual, Mike, because yeah. the first X-Men did pretty well. Yeah. But then X2 did better yeah. than the first one. 
and the third one made more money than the second one. And the third and that one never was happens. the worst one out of all of them. Yeah, but my point is, sequels, yeah. ordinarily you start out and, oh, like Jurassic Park, or for Jurassic Park 1, that made the money. Then 2, that made less money. 3, that made even less. They're like, well, we got to stop doing this yeah. until Jurassic World, and you, know, you blow the socks off the thing. But that's yeah. typically what happens, as opposed to what happened with the X-Men, which was the exact opposite. Yeah. Uh, the sequels never make more money than the yeah. original movies never you know and that was the whole reason that marvel couldn't get the see this the rights back <laughs> was because it kept making more and more money yeah, yeah. and yeah. honestly like in x3 being an awful interpretation of of the dark phoenix saga um and ended up making in my opinion because they essentially reset the whole thing it made the best x-men movie to date and that was x-men first class hmm. i loved having a new a young professor x a young magneto I think Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy were incredible. They were, mm. they were they were great. It was the best story that we've seen so far. And I liked the Apocalypse one. Mm. I didn't much like the um the Days of Future Past one. I thought it was okay. Mm. It just it, it it wasn't right. There was something missing about it. I still thought it was a good movie, but again, like I, I'm curious how they're gonna do the Dark Phoenix thing. But at the other the other side of this too is I'm tired of them doing the Dark Phoenix thing already. <laughs> like, why do we have to keep going to this story? Well, it's only like the most popular X Men story ever. <laughs> you know, I mean, I I wish they could stay away from some of this other stuff yeah. too. I mean, you know, you've got with the Marvel characters is 50 years of history upon yeah. which you can draw. You don't have to go to you know some of this, but I I don't know. I mean, I guess what's happening at least partly is the producers are trying to hedge their bets and they want to make, they, they want to increase the likelihood that what they do is going to be well received. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you, all right, let's do the stories that sold the most or that ended up being the most popular or the, uh, you know, most um, uh, that had the greatest impact on the characters. Yeah. You know, say, you know, so, and certainly dark Phoenix, uh, it was all that. So not only do you do a radio show, a TV show, you host a morning show. Mm, yes. You also are an actor as well. Uh, that's the rumor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I would describe myself as an actor. I mean, I think true actors uh, are people who can, um, well, like uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. I see Daniel Day-Lewis. Every movie I see him in, he looks different. Okay. He's behaving differently. That, that's an actor. I mean, I can I can act like me. You put me in the right part. Well, I tell you what, if I if if they'd have given me Independence Day, yeah. I might be a star right now. Oh, what freaking oh, I could have done what uh, Will Smith? Did. Yeah, oh, I definitely could have done that. Okay. <laughs> I definitely could have done that. Let's let's flip the script here though. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. His name is Kevin Costner. He plays the same role, no accent, no nothing, in every single movie that he's that's ever true. in. Okay. That's true. And Kevin yeah. Costner is an actor. That's so true. let's not okay. let's not sell yourself okay. short here, okay? All right. Like I, I appreciate you've that. been. I mean, what, like, what, give me give me a list of some of the things that you've been in because every single time you you show something else, I'm like, holy crap, he was in that too. <laughs> like you you have a list of things that you've done. Like uh, that, I I have appeared yeah. in some very interesting productions. Uh, yeah, I've been in uh, Veep on uh, Showtime. I've been in House of Cards on Netflix. I've been in. Um, uh, Homeland on Showtime. 
Uh, I've been in a couple of things that have yet to come out. Uh, there's this new thing, Jack Ryan, that's going to be on Amazon. I'm oh, waiting okay. for that to come out. Yeah. There's also this thing, um, Condor. It's uh, a television adaptation of Three Days of the Condor. Yeah. And so, you know, I did that. Both of those are supposed to be out like in the fall. Yeah. Um, if you know exactly where to look, you can see me in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. <laughs> um, I've done a couple of episodes of Night- Nightmare Next Door on the ID network. Yeah. Um, some fun stuff that I've done was, recently. Was the Nightmare mm-hmm. Next Door, was that where you played the, uh, the, the, um, let me use the right term. The juice bag uh, landlord. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I've done that too. Yeah. I was also the killer on one episode. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> yes, so how I do, was. So how do you get your mm-hmm. like for somebody who's never really done this professionally? Because like I did it in high school. Like, I was in plays and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And but like, how do you get yourself into this as an adult? Like, how do you? You just go and show up and audition, and that's how it works. Or like, well, okay. Here, here's. What happened was, okay, here's here's what happened with this. Um, I was looking to uh, supplement my income, and people had been telling me for years, oh, you've got a great voice, you've got a great voice, you've got a great voice. So I said, okay, well, let me see if I can do some voiceover type stuff. You yeah. know? So uh, I put a demo together, and uh, I actually joined the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, and uh, you know, I started chopping some stuff around. And uh, it just so happened that in this particular market, there is more in front of the camera work than there is voiceover work. I mean, I do um, I do some voiceover stuff. Uh, I also do some production related stuff. You yeah. know, videography. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, there's the radio stuff, but. Uh, it, it just so happened that there was more of the in front of the camera work. And so um, I was uh, it, there are four main casting agents uh, for this immediate area. And as I was uh, sort of going around and, you know, facilitating my introduction to these uh, casting agents uh, that could get me work, um, somebody was like, well, hey, uh, we've got this coming up. Would you like to do this? And it was, you know, like some background work or something in front of the camera. And I'm like, well, okay, uh, it pays, right? You know, and um, uh, something else that happened that also helped with that, uh, AFTRA merged with SAG, Screen Actors Guild. And so all of a sudden, I was a SAG actor. And um, that means when you're in the union, um, they got to pay you more and they got to treat you better. And, you know, so. Uh, some so uh, you know if you're going to pay me union rates, <laughs> then I'll be I will be there. Oh good gracious, especially you know for like a production like Homeland where I was able to catch on and you know or even um, to a lesser degree, but House of Cards, you know where I had a uh, semi recurring uh, featured uh, role background. Yeah, of course, semi semi recurring featured background role. But um, yeah, so uh, but that's that's what happened. I mean, it just so I mean I was trying to do something else and then they started sticking me in front and uh you know then all of a sudden well you might really have to act especially if you're in a situation where you have some lines and that's always desirable too because if you open your mouth they pay you like three times more wow, than what really? you get yeah if you're just hanging around in the background and you know what they pay you to hang around in the background isn't bad you know yeah. but it's like you know again but it's not great and have, uh, mm-hmm. have you ever thought of I mean, because obviously, from the conversation we've been having up to this mm-hmm. point, that was never really the goal, was to be an actor. No. But no. That's has... like, because I can't get hired doing anything else now. 
<laughs> I used to have a real office job, and uh, I guess I got too old and I was making too much money. And, uh, you know, so every time I apply for uh, uh, a real job, you know, and I do, I'm lucky. And in fact, I think the last time that I was lucky enough to get interviewed, I knew I wasn't going to get the job because I was more qualified than the people who were interviewing me. Oh, yeah. And I was like, well, there's no way they're going to put me forward for this. You yeah, know? This, ain't, this ain't happening. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah basically. So, um, you know, but that means that you have, to, you have to be cagey and you have to make the most of whatever opportunities that you have. And, uh, you know, so ultimately, um, you know, that, that means that I am always hustling out here is yeah. really what it comes down to now, yeah. which ain't so much fun because I yeah. got uh, a wife, two kids. My kids are both uh, over 18 now, so yeah. that's a little But you know, but they, they're both, at least at this instant, both of them are still in the house. And so, you know, it's kind of like... Go, my children, seek your fortune in this wide world. And, you know, but they like eating, and uh, my wife likes living in the house. And, you know, so when you got, like, uh, you know, wife and kids and mortgage, yeah. that encourages you to go out and uh, do something, find something. Beat you know? the pavement and make some money, yeah. Yeah, you got to. You got to. Yeah. I mean, have has there have you ever thought that maybe you kind of just, like, fell into this and be like, well, maybe I should try this more because – they keep giving me more stuff to do. They keep giving me reoccurring background features. Have you ever thought of trying to? Oh, hey, I'm trying all the time. I've yeah. actually got a manager in New York. I don't have an agent, but I got a manager who uh, has not called me <laughs> in a while, you know, but was calling me and I was auditioning for stuff. I mean, that's the thing for somebody who uh, hates uh, job hunting. Yeah. As a performer, Mike, you are always job hunting, which yeah. is one of the reasons why. Uh, you know, people who have this artistic integrity or whatever in the hell it is, because, you know, there's um, uh, oh, what's his face? Uh, Clooney, George Clooney, who was on ER, you know, which is one of the hottest doctor shows. I mean, shit ended up being on for like 15 years or something like that. Yeah. So he leaves in year four, you know, because like, well, I want to do other things. You know, let me tell you something. If anybody is ever stupid enough to cast me on a network series I'm never leaving that motherfucker. It's going to be like, oh, when it's canceled, that's what I'll get off the show. I mean, you know, because even the yeah. um, even the CW stuff, I yeah. mean, you're getting paid. I mean, pff, it's like 60,000 60, an episode is what you get for something like that. Wow. Those network shows. Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, you get paid. That is good to know. Yes. I uh, mean, Maybe you I know. should shift my focus here. <laughs> yeah, you get, you. I mean, we're not talking yeah. penny ante peanuts here, you. you know, for some of these, I mean, you know, that's how you got the Friends people. I mean, you remember that, the Friends, they and there were like eight of them, and they yeah. were getting a million dollars mil yeah. each yeah. per episode. Each yeah. a million per dollars. episode. That's insane. Yes. That's it totally insane. And they were and they were probably well worth it too when you factor all all of the equation into it because they were making NBC bank. Yes. Because everybody wanted to advertise on that. Yes, you advertise exactly. there, you know that you're gonna be seen. Exactly. And that it's exactly. gonna be something for sure that would, would, would make some money. Yeah, and those things are still on in syndication. People love that stuff. I I, yeah. I mean I watched the first season of it, and then it just got too popular for me. Yeah. But I really, you know, that little, you know, say, no one told you it was going to be <laughs> this way. I mean, it was a real jumpy song. Even so. that song, like, that, those guys probably are set for life because of that one song. <laughs> because every time it's played, like, they've got to be, I, I would hope. Uh, the music business is a little different. It's a little, yeah. <laughs> the yeah, music it, business is a little different. It is definitely I, that. Yeah, I've, I've, had, uh, I've had some uh, friends and family. 
that yeah. have been in that. And, uh, you know, if, if, I mean, I'm not saying there's nothing, you know, there's no way to do it, but yeah. the music business is probably the most cutthroat thing I have ever heard of. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, and you know, you might think you, you got to make a couple of albums. Actually the way to make your money in the music business, you go on tour. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and now like, I mean, you could be on YouTube like Justin Bieber, yes. for instance. That's how mm-hmm. he got started. Was I was not was aware just of singing that. stuff on YouTube. And wow. mm-hmm. there's these really funny stories that go around um, of like his friends um, who he knew in school mm-hmm. after he started doing his YouTube thing. And they would say to him like, oh, or he would come into his class and be like, oh, guys, guys, Usher signed me. And Usher's going to be producing a music video for me. And they're all like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> Like, cause like most kids, you know, like yeah. you think that your friends are full of shit yeah. and then it turns out that it was, it was true, true. And they were just yeah. like, Oh, he wasn't lying. Oh, wow. Okay. Sorry, Justin. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Can we get some money, please? Yeah. Um, Yuli, this has been fun, man. I've, I've always known all the things that you did, but I never knew, like, I never had like the things that tied it together, you know, like how it started, why you wanted to do it. And like, that's, I've, I, I love knowing the why. I love because to me that's the most important. It's not that you're on the radio or that you're an actor. It's it's why you want to do it. And I feel like that that's missing in a lot of things today is we don't know the why. And that's always the most part my, my favorite part of the story too. Like why did Luke shut himself off from the force and and go hide out on an island with a bunch of weird little creatures because he was ashamed of himself because he failed Kylo because he f- failed Ben Solo. That was the best part of that story to me. And like this was the, fascinating to, to hear, but always fun to talk to you too. Oh, you too! Yeah. Good gracious! In fact, I'm looking forward to the next time that we're able to get you on Fantastic Forum, and we're gonna get you on the TV version too, dude. I've, I've been on the TV show <laughs> twice now. I fa- I filmed at AwesomeCon two years in a row. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, all yeah. right. I was thinking more like the standard. I panel will do that thing, too. You know? <laughs> okay, and not only that, I ran my mouth and I made a promise to Emily that the next time that she's on the show, I got to come up to Arlington. <laughs> so that's fine. I got to come up your way. It's only well, fair. It's it's, it's going to be a minute because, of course, Emily is kicking up her heels at oh, this in instant San in Diego. San Diego. Oh, yes, fancy. And uh, yeah. yeah, so I'm sure it'll be yeah. uh, at very least a few weeks before yeah. we're able to get her down off of the cloud. And, uh, you know, she's got her projects that she is working on that yeah. I can't disclose because she will kill me. You know? sure. This is very true. <laughs> but, uh, you know, hopefully in the next couple of months, it'll be something that we can talk about. And, uh, you know, I want her to be one of those Justin Bieber type people where it's like, I knew her when. <laughs> I mean, I'm just hoping that for that for myself. But, you know, if it happens to Emily, that's cool. too. Oh, well, I absolutely am hoping yeah. for it for like us, yeah. too. But, yeah. you know, I mean, it's I want to I want to I, I see my friends do well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it's and quite frankly, a lot of the people I mean, like you, I mean, yeah. I, the people I know are so incredibly, incredibly talented and passionate. I mean, quite, quite frankly, I can't see how you could not be successful. As Aww, as good at all this as you are, I know. Really, I mean, I'm. You know, I, I listen to you, and you're a natural man, and you are very analytical about what you do. That's why I was asking you the question. I was asking you not at the beginning of the show yeah. that you know that nobody heard. But yeah, um, yeah so uh, I, I, you know, I, I see the trajectory as being very good. I, I again, you're another one of those. I just want, I just want the people that I know when they get where they're going. You know, that like, oh, yeah, hey, you know, throw old Yulia Bone. You know? 
Well, you have. We we talk about this all the time too. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a line from um, Star Trek. Um, I'm oh yeah, to see when the train find... comes in, everybody rides. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from the Royale, Star yeah. Trek: The Next Generation. Yeah, I think that's. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's how a lot of us feel. You know, mm-hmm. and you've mentioned. You said Veep. You were on Veep. I yeah. know you were on Homeland. Mm-hmm. You were on uh, Investigation Discovery, which is cool because I used to watch those shows all the time. <laughs> and I'm trying to like, like go through my brain. I'm like, did I see Yuli at some point? Like, I'll have to, I'll have to go back and see if it's I can like find Murder this. in Buffalo. Murder in Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was this guy James Fountain. He was a really heinous guy. Yeah. You know. In fact, I tell you what. Um, there was something that I had to do during because I had to put this woman in a box at one point, and oh, it was. Uh, now I tell you what, as a performer. Um, you know, you don't always think about what goes into the performance, but, you know, and those reenactment shows are a little bit different. I mean, they don't necessarily always give you a script and lines. I mean, sometimes you're like ad-libbing, but, um, you know, basically this, this, the real guy had coaxed this woman over to, this is before he did the killing later, but he coaxed this woman over to his apartment and then he shut her up in a box. And so, uh, you know, I mean, and we were getting physical and I was, you know, trying to wrestle her into this box and she was pleading and begging. And uh, it really, I mean, it got me right here. I was wow. like, yeah, because it was messed up. And I was, yeah. I didn't want to put her in the box. Oh, okay. You know, but, and I was acting. And so, yeah. was, please, no, please get in the box. And I mean, I was, wow, you know, and I just, you know, so depending on what it is you're doing, I yeah. can really see how people get messed up behind some of this stuff because you're pretending it's real. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and you, you know, you've got to act like You're this actually, is what, yeah. yeah. And it's just messed up, man. Oh, so, yeah, for sure. You know, some of that stuff. Ooh. So let's, let's give you the, the trumpets one more time. Um, guys, let's all thank Yuli for coming in. Ulysses E. Campbell is. The Geek of the Week. I feel like I can't say that without like a British accent. <laughs> Ulysses E. Campbell is Geek of the Week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you for coming in. Thank um, you. Where can we find your stuff, man? Where can oh. we find all of the things that you do? Well, you can uh, check me out at fantasticforum.tv. Uh, I am uh, actually, there's supposed to be ulyssescampbell.com, although you'll find a holding page if you go there. Um, you can find out about some of my interesting activities as an elected official in Washington, D.C. It's part of ANC4C. In fact, um, we have been getting some attention recently because at our most recent meeting, uh, we voted uh, to support uh, a, um, a how, do I, how do I say it, uh, sort of a petition before the uh, Alcoholic Beverage Regulation Administration uh, to um, not renew the liquor license for the Trump International Hotel in downtown D.C. Because in an interesting uh, confluence of events, come to find out that in order to serve alcohol in the District of Columbia, you have to be somebody of good character. And we just don't think that this Whoa. guy is a person of good character. Now, I, I don't know how much. We've actually gotten a little bit of traction about it. Uh, you know, it was something on Fox News the other night. That's, that. that's going to start uh, quite the, the fervor. That's, that's a, I mean, 
I don't disagree. I think that's a bold move, but yeah, like, wow. We, we, were, we were trying to see if there wasn't something we could do. Yeah, it's actually, it's not our uh, our jurisdiction. Uh, there's another ANC, I believe it's 2A, yeah. that is actually over that. But we thought we would help them along a little bit, you know, by uh, passing a resolution, you know, that we think this is what should happen. So, uh, and in fact, uh, one of my colleagues... Uh, contacted me just yesterday said hey you want to be on german tv they were asking about this you know so wow uh yeah it's uh it's kind of interesting but yes um i I have a facebook page um uh ulysses e campbell anc 4c03 commissioner um uh, yeah, you know, in fact, just the you can do an internet search. I mean, because if you want to tune in to the Arlington in the Morning Show, uh, you know, from seven to nine Monday through Friday, um, you know, you can do that. You can check out uh, episodes of the radio show. Uh, actually, some of those are up on FantasticForum.tv. But you can find us on Mixcloud. You can find some stuff on SoundCloud. Just search for Fantastic Forum or Ulysses E. Campbell or Arlington in the morning, or, you know, there's a bunch of stuff. Shockingly, there's a bunch of stuff that comes out. You, know? <laughs> you can also find him ah, on GreatGeekRefuge.com. Yes. <laughs> um, his iTunes feed for all of his podcasts are actually right there. We're working on adding everything in slowly, but surely it's been kind of a, a best of fantastic forum um, as we get them. And then every now and then I'll just uh, I'll swipe his um, movie reviews that he does and throw them up there too. Um, but yeah, he's on Great Geek Refuge, because, uh, like he said, when the train comes in, everybody rides. So we figure we might as well help each other in this endeavor that we're trying. But again, thanks to Ulysses Campbell. Thank you to everybody out there who listened, to all of my GGR cohorts. Uh, I know Steve is uh, on vacation uh, this week, so hopefully next week we'll have him back and we'll talk uh, Star Wars like we always do. Um, But for Yuli, for Steve, for all of us at GGR, my name is Mike Lunsford, and this has been GGR Pirate Radio. This has been Pirate Radio Network production juice bags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy.